Happy New Year. <laughs> 2017 is finally here. <clears throat> 2016, that was fun, huh? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Glad that's over. Uh, 2016, a lot of, uh, lot of crazy stuff happened. Uh, 17's going to be a good one. I don't know that for sure, but uh, it can't be a whole lot worse, uh, right? So it's, uh, it's up from here, uh, which is good. Um, so happy new year, glad you're here. And if you're, you're visiting with us again, thank you for, for coming and checking us out. Um, it's obviously pretty, pretty bleak. I'm, I'm surprised, uh, no offense, to see all of you here this morning. Um, I, I was not feeling well, so I went to bed at about 7 o'clock last night and, and got up. And I know that some of you, I was just talking to some people, they didn't get up, or they didn't go to bed till about 4.30, so, um, and they're still here. So, um, you know, it's a good way to start off the new year, I guess. Um, but if you're thinking you're going to get props from, uh, from the big man upstairs for coming to church on the first, you know, it doesn't work that way, sorry. Um, but I'm glad you're here anyways. And we're going to open up God's word uh, together. And uh, so as uh, Ben was saying, we've been going through a series called Awkward Family Photos. And uh, we've been going through this Advent season, the Christmas season, looking at these awkward family photos. And, and so we looked at the birth of Jesus, the Advent season, through the perspective of Joseph, uh, and Mary, and then also the ch children's perspective, and now we're going to look at uh, this incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh, becoming a baby, from the perspective of the church. And so that's where we're going to be looking at awkward family photos, the perspective of the church. When I first got this title uh, from Pastor Core, uh, it was, you know, awkward family photos from the perspective of the church. It was kind of like, well, you want me to what, do you want, what, am I, what am I preaching on here exactly? Uh, but we were able to figure that out. So uh, anyways, here we go. So this is a Christmas book. We just got done with Christmas. Um, last week, I had the joy and the privilege to go down to my mother's house down in central Illinois, a little town called Roanoke. Um, there's literally nothing there. Um, I do, I, every time I go there, I, I love visiting. I love visiting my mother. She's great. They have uh, like a hobby farm with cows and cattle and and uh, last night, I just saw a picture posted on Facebook that my mom put up there. It's just a freezer just full of beef, and it just says, rest in peace, Clover. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we left before that happened, so we didn't get to take any home with us. But, uh, but it's a, it is a nice little perk. But we go down there, and we see these tiny little towns uh, full of, of, not full, you know, a thousand people. But it's like, why do you live there? Right? I mean, I get it if you're a farmer, but not everyone's a farmer. They're just surviving. I don't know what they do in these little towns, but my mom, um, she has this book, and she had this, has had it for 20 years. It's called the Christmas Memories Book. Does anyone else have these or familiar with these books? Okay. I thought at least some of you would, but I know there's a, a, a couple in my small group that does this, but my mom gave uh, each of us kids, my brother Matt and Amy and myself, she gave us these books, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And uh, it has 20 chapters in it. And what it, all it is is just it gives you prompts of what was your favorite Christmas memory, what was the meal, what was your favorite present. And she's filled it with pictures and cards and that kind of thing. And so every year when you go down there for Christmas, we just get to sit around this book and just reminisce and look at actual awkward family photos and, and those kinds of things. And so what, this book, though, is incredibly special to my family because it, it's 20 years. And it goes 20 years from their, my mom and my dad, their first Christmas together up until their last Christmas. My father died in 2000 from cancer. And so it's just this precious book. We just love reading this book and going through it. 
And so knowing that I was going to be talking about awkward family photos from the perspective of the church, it fit (laughs) because my father was a pastor and he did some awkward things as a pastor and some things that I won't even try to mention from the pulpit. Uh, He made that mistake once. I won't do it for him again. Um, And so this is a card. I know you can't read it. This was was like a Christmas letter that he sent out. Now it's like Shutterfly and Amazon. They're doing all this stuff now. Um, This is before that. You're actually to type up a letter and mail it to people. Um, and so this is one that he sent. So I'm gonna read this letter, and uh, while that's on there, I'm gonna at least switch to a real awkward photo of my sister and me sitting on Santa's lap at the grocery store <laughs> on a throne of caffeine-free diet Pepsi. <laughs> that's that line from Alfred, like, you're not Santa, you smell like beef and cheese. I'm pretty sure this dude smelled like beef and cheese, right? It's probably like the third, third, uh, what is that called? Third, uh, third string? Not third string. What is it? What they call that? Mm, shift. There's the word. Third shift. Right. He's probably the third shift office manager. You know, like just trying to make some extra cash. Like oh, I'll be Santa this year. Anyways, all right. So I'm gonna have that up there. But I'm gonna read this letter my dad sent. Out. So my dad uh, had a sense of humor. Unfortunately, we went to, um, and he was a pastor of a church that um, unfortunately didn't have a sense of humor. Uh, And so he sent out this letter, and let me just read it. It says, Dear friends, neighbors, and countrymen, what a great year, 18, or sorry, not 18, what a great year, I'm not that old, 1987 has been. So now I am dating myself. Yes, that was the last millennium to those of you who are young in here. What a great year 1987 has been for the Silver family. So many of you have written, called, and sent telegrams asking questions since 60 Minutes did that program about our family. It's not true that I have decided to put together this letter to keep you better informed. Matthew, now six, was accepted last March to Harvard for this year's fall semester. (laughs) He is the youngest student ever to receive one of their academic scholarships. He is also lettered in football, but he's having a hard time in basketball at 47 inches tall. (laughs) Amy, now four and a half, has released her third solo LP. This one is expected to go platinum, just like the first two. Brian, now too, this is the good part, Brian, now too, has been offered many, many child modeling contracts from all of the big companies. You can see it, right? I know, I know you can. Uh, Sears, Oshkosh, Toys R Us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But on the advice of his agent, he's going to turn them down until after the release of his ma- major motion film, The Twos Aren't So Terrible, available in VHS and beta. If you have read his book, Gimme This, Gimme That, put out by Doubleday, then this movie is a must. (laughs) Darlene, his wife, my mom, now, and there's like a blot, she just kind of blurred out the name, looks like a, okay, so now Darlene, now whatever age it is behind that, (laughs) is still doing great. She has recently introduced her own line of cosmetics to fill the void left by Tammy Faye. No idea what that means. I guess that leaves me, now 23, he wasn't 23. I'm the star, (laughs) this is so ridiculous. I'm the star host of the Worldwide Outreach Television Ministries. I guess that's what you want to do. I I don't know. Besides doing youth and music. And I have recently taken a part-time job with an advertising agency writing ads for Izuzu. And I remember I read that this year, and I looked at my mom, and I was like, what's with the Izuzu? Like, what does that even mean? I guess she explained that, I guess, Izuzu, back in the day, they made these television ads that um, 
were just all lies, just completely fake, totally false, nothing was true about it. And so he put that in there thinking people would get the joke. No, it didn't happen. Right? So the story's told that my father received many phone calls and got many letters of people congratulating the family about how well we were doing. Um, <laughs> just really excited for us, right? So that made awkward moments for my dad as a pastor saying, oh no, that whole thing was a lie. None of that was, none of that was true. So then that upset some people. Uh, so uh, some awkward moments. That was my family. Uh, but churches have a tendency to be awkward as well. Uh, I love these signs. It's a good thing that Hope doesn't have one of these signs because I know we'd all mess with it, right? Um, so this is, I don't know where these churches are, but uh, now is a good time to visit our pastors on vacation. Uh, like, what? So either the sign person has a sense of humor or they're serious, like, <laughs> come, come please now, or it's too late. Uh, this one's great. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> What's that called? It's a dangling modifier. Is that what that's called? So again, this, what is it? Is that right? Somebody said it. Well, we don't know. Okay. All right. I don't know either. I'm not an English person. I speak it. Um, what's funny about this, though, too, is that you're telling me that nobody in the church drove by and was like, yeah, it doesn't, you can't say that, right? So they were probably just terrified of the sign guy, is my guess. Um, then, then the church can be just awkward. Why pay for GPS? Jesus gives you directions for free. <laughs> it's just so cheesy. Oh, but I love it. Uh, that's like what we would put up if we had one of those signs. And this next one's not awkward. It's actually amazing. God shows no favoritism, but our sign guy does. Go Cubs! <laughs> that's great. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Cubs fan. Been a Cubs fan my whole life. Got to go down to Chicago for the, for the World Series and hang out with the family. And Anyways, okay, that's, that's that. Uh, we are going to look at, though, just these kind of these awkward transitions that the church has throughout the centuries. Um, of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and, and what, did it, what was required of, of individuals in the first century church to actually follow Jesus. And so uh, this part, um, what I want to do before we look at the incarnation and what that meant to the early church, I want to make sure that we are all on the same page. Um, and so I want to start with looking at awkward family photos of looking at the perspective of the mission of God, or some, some theologians will call it the missio dei, just a fancy Latin way of just looking at the mission of God. What is God's mission now here on earth for us? What does he want for humankind? And so I want to look at Acts chapter 1, and uh, you'll have to forgive me. I'm going to do my best to put these verses into context, um, uh, so just bear with me. But, so we just finished going through, through Luke. So if you've been with us for any amount of time, the last three years, you're familiar with the book of Luke. And so this is kind of just Luke part two, when we get into Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. And so Luke is still the author, and he says this, he says, that then they gathered around him, that's the disciples of Jesus, gathered around him. Jesus at this point has already uh, been crucified, he's been buried, and he's been raised from the dead, but he hasn't yet gone back to heaven. He hasn't yet ascended into heaven onto, into a position of authority uh, at the right hand of God. And so this is that in-between time when he's, home, when he's back for about 40 days. And he says this, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now remember, we've got to look back at what was going on in Luke. Over and over and over and over again, the disciples are constantly asking Jesus, is today the day? Are, are you going to do it now? Are you going to become king now? Are you going to sit on your throne? Are you going to kick the Romans out? And they do this over and over and over, and he's finally like, just calm down, not yet. I'm going to usher in the kingdom of God, but it's not how you think it's going to be. And then he dies, and they're all distraught, but then he gets raised from the dead. So now, well, maybe now's the time. So now they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus answers their question. I got, got a little fancy. I used some color this morning. Um, it says, Lord, are you, first of all, that's what they're asking Jesus. Jesus, are you personally at this time, like right now today, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking that Jesus, the Messiah who died, they still think it's just about them. They still think it's just about ethnic Israel. And what I love is Jesus' response. And he, he flips everything. He answers all their questions. Well, it's only one question, but kind of three little subpoints in there. He says, no, no, not, not me, but you. Not, I, I'm not going to usher in the kingdom. I am by who I am and what I did. But this is going to be done throughout all of the ages of what we're in now by you. So you, they said, what about the time? It's not, it's not for you to know the times, the dates. Don't get so caught up on when things are finally going to be over and, and the king is going to return and everything's going to be made right again. Don't, don't worry about that. You should just work now. But you work now what, for just Israel? No, he says, to the ends of the earth. This isn't just about Israel. This is about all ethne, ethnicities. Everyone are included in this. That is the mission of God, to use the church to reach all people. Then he says this. This is uh, the Apostle Paul teaching here in Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. I put the blank in there. Don't worry, it's not like missing from the Bible. I don't know. I don't know what it is. His intent was that now through blank, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known, and that the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you could fill that blank, like what, what is it that displays the manifold wisdom of God through Christ Jesus? What, what is it? It's the church. It's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is going out into this world. That's the mission. That is the mission of God. I want to just take a second and go through this thing. It's, it's called the Pauline cycle. Um, it's pretty straightforward, um, but it's taken from the book of Acts. And I know you probably can't read it all. Uh, it's actually pretty blurry, so I apologize for that. But um, all it is, it's, it's a pattern that we find in the book of Acts. And, and the book of Acts is all about how the gospel spreads throughout all the known world. It follows Peter for the first half, and then it follows Paul for the second half. And it says, this is how the gospel went from here to here to here and spread. And then when we get to Paul in chapter 13 and what he's doing, radical things start to happen, but he starts to make this pattern, this Pauline cycle, that every church starts to take on the same thing. So I just want to read some verses. And so we're going to look at mainly just big headings. I'm not going to go through all those little subpoints, but the big headings of evangelize. Preach the gospel. People are converted to Christianity. 
And then we're going to equip them. We're going to nurture them. We're going to grow them in their faith in the church so that ultimately they can be sent out again. We're going to develop leaders, and then we're going to send them out to start other churches. That's this Pauline cycle, and that's what Paul does, and he trains others, other people to do that, and churches all throughout the area end up doing this. So I want to look at this, this kind of commissioning of, of, of Paul, or here his, his name is still Saul, but the commissioning of the local church saying, hey, we want to send you out to preach the gospel. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. All right, this is the commissioning. This is why um, my wife and I came to Hope Community Church. Um, that Hope Community Church has a reputation in the cities of being a church planting church. They send out church planters. That's what they do. And so my wife and I come in here saying, hey, we want to plant. What can we do? They say, great, get involved. Get, come, come start, be, be part of our Leadership Development Institute. And then maybe at some point, once we get to know you, and if you, we think you're okay, then we'll send you out again, right? And so that I can likewise do the same thing. And so that's what's going on here, that they're being uh, commissioned to go and be sent out. And then we look at the converted. So now this is Paul and Silas. They're preaching or Barnabas and Saul, excuse me. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all those who were appointed for eternal life believed. That these individuals that hear the gospel believe the gospel. So now you have the commissioner of the church. They hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, and then what? Then they're gathered as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue. The people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Kind of sounds like a church. Like, hey, you're teaching these things, that's great. Can we do it again next week? So they do, and when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. And so we see these new believers being nurtured in their faith, that leadership is being developed, and that's what happens here in Acts 14, 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So again, it's going full circle here. New converts, they gather, they're developed, and then they reconvene. So sending church convenes, so this is Acts 14, 26 to 27. From Attila, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And this cycle just keeps happening over and over. And what we see is that these new churches that are planted, that go out, and they start doing the same thing. That they don't just stay stagnant. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit later, but this is what happens when, when churches get to the cycle, and they, they preach the word, and converts believe, and then they just leave them to hang out and to dry. Right? They just say, hey, great, you, you believe the gospel, all right, have a better life. Okay, that's, that's bad. That causes bad things to happen. And then the other side of that, then if they only nurture and grow and just say, hey, what we're going to do is we're just going to build walls around our church. We're just going to care about ourselves and not care about the, the ends of the earth and, and, uh, and the cities around us. We're only going to care about ourselves, right? 
almost doing the same thing that the, that the disciples were doing. I care about nationalistic Israel. Well, I'm going to care about people who are like me, who do church like me, and that's it. If they don't like my church, well, then somebody else can figure it out. No, 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 that's not, that's not the missio day, right? That's not the mission of God. Go out and be sent and be a church that plants churches. Second point here. All right, so now I want to look at this idea of how did the incarnation actually affect the church? This is looking at this, and I, I don't mean this to be trivial here, um, because I, I know if you're sitting there thinking like, okay, I, I woke up really early, maybe some of you didn't even go to bed, and I'm going to walk in here, and this guy is going to tell me that, it, that the birth of Jesus matters to followers of Jesus. Yes, yes it does, okay? Um, a lot, okay, so I don't want to just look at this just as the birth of Jesus and Jesus coming and taking on flesh. I want to look at it his entire life and who he was and what he did and what he accomplished, that his birth, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, that really mattered to the early church. And we see this through the spread of the good news, that the early church actually believed these things about Jesus. Now, to be fair, every religion or every non-religion, atheist, whatever, you wouldn't believe it unless you believed it, right? Some of the, any other religion, they don't just do it because, ah, sure, it seems right to me. No, they, they actually believe it, right? So I'm not going to say that Christianity is the only one worth believing, right? That's not what I'm trying to say here. Because some of you might come from that or have family members, you might be here just trying to check out Christianity saying, um, yeah, I don't believe that, but I do believe this. I'm not saying that you don't actually believe what you believe. Okay, but what I am saying is that Christianity has a very different message and how they spread their message. And they don't do it with, um, at least they should, an antagonistic lifestyle and the sword. And that's a whole nother awkward history of Christianity when you get into the Dark Ages and the Crusades. All right, but Christianity has a message, and they want to spread that message so that all will believe, and so that if these individuals in the first century didn't actually believe this, this never would have spread. So they spread the good news. How? Um, this is a quote from just a, a theologian, Robert Baker. He says, the first 12 chapters of Acts, which we went through a lot of them, first 12 chapters of Acts describe the history of the Christian movement during the first 15 years after Christ's death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit was given in accordance with the promise of Christ, according to the power for witnessing in a hostile world, uh, bring the presence of Christ to the people for fellowship and strength and giving leadership from Christ in the initiation and important movements. At Pentecost, so Pentecost, this is Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter gets up there and he starts preaching. He starts preaching the good news. Jesus has just ascended, and Peter gets up there and says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You crucified him. He died for your sins. Believe in him. And he starts speaking in tongues, different languages, and everyone can understand him. And I love, their, I love the audience's response, right? They, they look at him and say, oh, Peter, you must be drunk. And his response is, no, it's only 9 a.m. And if Steve Treichler were up here, what would his response be? Well, it's not Wisconsin. That's not Wisconsin, right? That's what, that's what he would say. No, it's only 9 a.m., right? We're not, they're not drunk, right? I'm, I'm preaching God's word. The Holy Spirit is using me and using other people around me so that other people can hear. So at Pentecost, when that, the message goes out, persons from every part of the world were saved, and they went back to their own cities to establish churches. That's what's going on here. That's just the Pauline cycle. They hear the gospel, and they go back home. 
And they start and they plant churches and they establish churches because there are accounts there when Paul and other people are traveling, they get to a city and there's already Christian communities and churches. It's like, how is this possible? How could this be unless they heard the word and the natural course of what Christians do when they gather in, in community and they share the gospel with one another? So that's what's going on. So we see this in Acts 5, 17 to 21, and a high priest and all of his associates uh, who were members of the party of the Sadducees so again, you've got to remember, uh, looking back, we have the, the religious leaders, they just finished killing Jesus. This guy was causing all sorts of, of ruckus and saying, uh, I, I am the son of God, and I'm going to stir things up, and I'm going to flip the world on its head, and you think the Bible says this, I'm telling you it means this, that you need my righteousness, it's the only way, and they say, okay, we've got to get rid of him, so they kill him. And then all of a sudden, other people start rising up in his place, sharing and preaching the same gospel of Jesus Christ. So then the high priest and his associates, who are members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Man, I thought, we, I thought we put him to death. I thought we ended this. No, no, no. Because they believe this in their hearts to be true. They live it. So the religious leaders arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors in the jail and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. If your government or religious or whatever, some authority in your life says, hey, that thing that you do, that thing that you believe to be true, stop it. Don't do that anymore. You wouldn't just go do it again if you didn't believe it. They believed the reality and truth of who Jesus was and who he said who he was in order to empower them and enable them to preach the gospel, including in a hostile setting. And so that goes to this next point here, that it's also spread through persecution. And Saul approved of their killing. Again, sorry, i got to put a little bit of context on here. Who is Saul? Saul was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader who did everything he possibly could to destroy the church. We know him later as the Apostle Paul. He has an amazing conversion story and is commissioned by Jesus to go and spread the good news, and he does. So when we look at that Pauline cycle, that's this guy. This is before his conversion. So Saul approved that they're killing him. Him is Stephen. Stephen is the first martyr in the New Testament. And so Saul is like, yes, kill that Christian. He's sharing the good news. So they kill him. He approves of it. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Why? Because God's mission for his church is not just to stay here and do what you like to do with people who you are like. <laughs> it's to reach all people. And so if you're not going to go and do that, then guess what? Persecution is going to come and you will be spread. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But these individuals would rather go to prison or flee than to recant. They believe this. And so they flee, and the gospel goes with them. The good news spreads through that persecution. Again, Robert Baker says this, the martyrdom of Stephen, what we just looked at, marked a turning point in two respects. Number one, it began persecution that drove Christians from Jerusalem into all Judea and Samaria in their witness, and two, it moves Saul the persecutor toward a personal conversion to Christ. That's where it becomes Paul. 
The local witness grew because of the preaching of Peter to a Gentile, the founding of the Gentile church at Antioch, and the martyrdom of James, son of Zebedee. The conversion of Saul, his persecution for service, and his ministry at Antioch provide the background for the second stage of Christian development. Gospel is spread, and it keeps going. Okay, so again, we have the mission of God. We're going to do this through the church. How does the church do this? Because they believe who Jesus is. They believe what he says to be true. So much so that even when they're being persecuted, they believe it, and they are spread that way. And so now I want to look at the mission of the church. I just want to take a few minutes to talk to you a little bit about this. In the upcoming weeks, the next two weeks, Pastor Steve and Pastor Core are going to be preaching and talking about the vision for Hope Community Church. What does 2017, what is it going to bring? What is it going to look like? And so in the next couple of weeks and even now, I want you to be thinking, what does this mean for me? If I call Hope Community Church my home, what, what can I do? What can I do to help? I'm going to look at the mission of the church, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is what's commonly referred to as the Great Commission. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority, every little ounce of authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he doesn't say, So therefore, I'm going to take over now. He says, Therefore, you go. You make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is why the mission statement here at Hope is to honor God by helping as many people as possible become fully devoted followers of Christ, not just people who look like me, not people who just worship like me. And so hopefully in the next year or two, we're going to expand that and show what it looks like to be a church that does this Pauline cycle of sending people out and commissioning people to go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ so that all can be saved. That's our heart. That's our desire. Matthew 16, 18. This is a verse that for a long time in my life I didn't understand. And I want to go back to what I had previously mentioned about uh, that Pauline cycle of when you, you just evangelize and you gather the church, but you don't actually then go and reproduce in the sense of planting churches. You just build your walls. And that was kind of my story. I went to these churches that all we cared about was educating the church. Sure. Went to Sunday school. Went to Sunday morning service. Went to Sunday evening service. Went to Wednesday service, right? We just was constantly in church, learning, 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 learning. And I knew my stuff. I knew the gospel. I knew the Bible backwards and forwards, but it didn't connect here. I knew it here, didn't know it here. And this was a verse that I'd never really understood until the last couple years in Matthew 16, 18. And here at Hope, we have a, I don't know what you'd call it, a, a organization. It's called Mission 1618. And it gets its Verse, it's kind of understanding of who we are from this verse, Mission 16, 18, Matthew 16, 18. It says this, I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. All right, now, uh, this is uh, typically what we would think of as a gate. All right, this is a, an old ancient gate, uh, just found on Google. Uh, they have things like this on there now. And 
I search ancient gate, this pops up, but this is, this is now, now imagine we live back in the day, it's an agrarian culture, and, and you just live 500 yards away from that thing, and you're planting. Are you constantly looking over your shoulder to see if that gate's getting any closer to attack you? No, that's not what gates do, right? Gates defend, that's all they can do. A gate can only defend. And for some reason, at least in my own mind, I got it wrong growing up, thinking hell is coming, Hell and its gates are coming, so we got to do what we got to do to protect and defend ourselves. Well, that's not the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus came and he died and he suffered for our sins, and he rose from the dead, he ascended on high, and all authority has been given to him and then been given to the church, saying, therefore, go and make disciples, commanding them and believing them and baptizing them of all that I've taught you. So I look at that verse then again, Mission 16, 18, sorry, Matthew 16, 18, and it says, the gates of hell will not prevail. Oh, interesting. Okay, so, so what that means is what you're saying is the gospel is more powerful than the gates of hell. That's what you're saying, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. All right, so we have this phrase, and I'm sure you've heard Pastor Steve use it before, right? I want to go into the kingdom of darkness and trash the joint. That's what we get to do. We get to go into the kingdom of darkness and just trash it. Because we have the truth, and I believe it. And so we develop leaders, and we send, them, we send them out. I don't need to be afraid of the gates of hell. The gates of hell need to be afraid of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how, how can we do this? So just gospel application. First of all, are you on mission with God? Are, are you actually on mission with God, or... Or have you taken a position that says, oh no, this is actually about me. I'm comfortable. I go to Hope Community Church because it makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel welcomed. It makes me feel loved. But I don't know if I've ever actually committed myself to Jesus. I don't know if I've ever actually said, Jesus, will you be my Lord? Will you be my master? I've never bowed the knee to Jesus. So that's first of all, are you on mission with God? And secondly, if you would say, I consider Hope Community Church my home, my family. What can you do? What will you do? What can you do to help tear down the gates of hell? I know I didn't give you answers, right? I didn't. I didn't say, here's, here's what maybe something you could do, here's something you could do. What I want you to do now is I just want you to chew on it. I want you to think about it. Man, in the year 2017, as a family, as an individual, as a college student, what can I do to actually help Hope Community Church Spread the good news in the cities. And I just want you to be aware of that and thinking of that. The worship team is going to come up now. We're going to enter into a time of, of communion. Communion was given to us by Jesus to do in remembrance of him as often as we eat or drink to do it in remembrance of him. Here at Hope, we practice open communion, so it doesn't matter if you are a member of this church or one of like faith or practice, whatever it is, all we would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And what I would ask is that if you haven't made that decision, that today could be the day. Scripture says that today could be the day of repentance. And so as we enter into this time of communion, man, would you, would you bow the knee to Jesus and would you come forward and take place in your first communion? I know we'd love to have that. There are gluten-free options just in this back bottom right here. There are uh, op, uh, stations up there for communion and back corners there, uh, but just down here has the gluten-free.
And so as we bow our heads, I just want you to think about the situations of, of Christmas that we got to experience this last year in 2016, and looking forward to 2017, what can I do to help the church expand for the kingdom of God? Will you pray with me? And then we will, we will eat. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for, again, just the opportunity that we have to be at your church, to be at your house. And I just pray now that you would um, be honored and glorified uh, through us by remembering what Jesus did. That if it weren't for who he was and what he did, taking on flesh as a baby, fully God, fully man, and then dying for our sins in a way that we cannot, that we get to take on his righteousness while our, our sins are removed and born on him, I pray that now we would reflect on that, that we would look at the, the, the bread, which was, uh, symbolizes the body that was broken for us, and the juice that symbolizes the, the, the blood that was shed for us, and we would just honor and glorify you now in this time of communion. It's Christ's name we pray.